Alrighty, week five of quarantine. Like, I mean, I'm not even messing. Like, do you think we'll ever get outside again? Like, we might not. We can still go outside, Katie. And aren't you, like, allergic to outside at the minute right now anyway, Katie? Like, didn't you put out the bins on Wednesday or something and, like, your closet up or something? Like, that was pollen released by, like, I don't know, Satan. It's nothing to do with plant life. Like, seriously, the the strength of that stuff, it has to be a conspiracy, like, orchestrated by, I don't know, Jay-Z and Taylor Swift or something on behalf of the Dark Prince's interests here in, in the mortal realm. Nice. You like that? It uh, came to me during one of my uh, Puritan comas. Antihistamine-induced psychedelic experiences. That's uh, that's excellent. Right? Here, nobody's throat closed up and hay fever isn't a big deal. Like, don't be humouring her on that stuff. We'll never hear the end of it. Jesus, Chloe, like, are you still not over the whole sleep deprivation thing from, from the weekend? Like, probably not. But, like, it was worth it. Like, I probably won't be okay ever again. Between being like, you know, psychotired and, you know, the pain of knowing that I'll never see Wings era BTS life, you know, it's, um, <laughs> it's a lot to take, oh, you know. Jesus. I've never seen anyone go so hard into stand-up in my whole life over like anything. I know, it's like, it's, it's a little worrying, to be honest. Here, it's not like I'm sending anybody like no letters or nothing written in my own blood. Like I haven't even bought like that much merch even. Like not, not really when you think about it. You're buying BTS merch during a global pandemic. Yes, yes, I am, Katie. Yes, I am. I'm keeping the economy afloat. Thank you for, you know, recognising me on that, you know. But I, I needed a wireless keyboard, you know. It just so happened that the BT21 one that, you know, they were selling on that website was, you know, really, 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 really cute, you know. The last words I understood there were wireless and keyboard and I don't want to know what any of the rest of it is. I do kind of want to see it when it arrives. Like, is it really cute, Chloe? Oh, like, like, I will be unboxing. I will be unboxing Saoirse life. And I mean, anyone who wants to, like, tune in to, like, share it in my joy, Katie, <laughs> you know, they're more than welcome. <laughs> You're so adorable. Oh, my God. Right. <laughs> any, like, any other crack before we, you know, get into the actual book for the week? Chloe, sticking with you, like, did you did you get your whole dance routine sorted? <laughs> yeah, that here, go? had to give that up, that was nonsense, like, seriously. <laughs> How many different moves did I need to have in one song? Like, I don't have time for that shit. Like, <laughs> oh I got God. one verse learned off, and, like, and then I tried recording it to see, like, what I needed to, like, start out and, like, get really, like, tight down. And, like, lads, you want to see the faces I'm pulling? It's, <laughs> oh, it's, no. It was, it was terrifying, for real. <laughs> I'm sure it wasn't that bad, Here, I said out loud on my own to myself that I didn't know that my tongue was that long. That happens. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're going to need to see that video. <laughs> like, like, not in fairness. Like, I mean, it sounds like you learned some stuff, you know, awareness of how long one's tongue is. You know, it can't can't be a bad thing. Mm, I suppose it can't, Clint. I suppose oh it God. cannot. <laughs> I can hear you wiggling your eyebrows from here. Clee, <laughs> um, uh, okay, let's let's move on from this how's <laughs> your dad oh yeah yeah he's not bad yeah he's he's getting used to you know fried rice again as a foodstuff appropriate for for dinner consumption so that's that's a win i think yeah i think so yeah i can't imagine not having fried rice like four times a week it's the cornerstone of my diet i know right like it, it, that old on miss o'neill she had him back on like potatoes and pork chops like what i was in college 
<coughs> but uh, no, no, in fairness, you know, I think he might even be able to handle the spaghetti bolognese next week. So, you know, fingers crossed. Whoa, mince and everything. Uh, I know, like it's f- proper foreign, but you know, we'll see how we get on. Cooking though, seriously, though, seriously though, like it's so great for like passing the time and like keeping busy right now, you know, and it's it's super, super satisfying. Like, you know, like learning a new skill. I made the <laughs> yummiest brown muffins at the weekend and it was just, oh my God, it was just the most satisfying experience. Oh. <laughs> Too wholesome. Get it off. Get it off. Seriously, seriously, like this. This isn't normal, man. It's not normal to be this virtuous. You know, I. This is very worrying. (laughs) So you haven't been baking brown muffins, then, Kate? No, no, I have not. (laughs) But I don't know. Like, there's there's a certain virtue in sitting through, you know, three separate family video calls where only my dad's forehead is visible because he has not figured out the whole front-facing camera situation. Oh, that's sad, Kay. That's sad. It is. I mean, it really really is i'm i'm grateful for your support during this difficult time <laughs> you know lean on me oh god dude, you're dude. not strong dude dude <laughs> oh god well, no sorry sarah you, you haven't said what you're up to oh, me um me i'm actually i'm not i'm not doing that much it's me and derek just yeah cooking dinner avoiding each other and the rest of the time i am planning how to assassinate the uh, inventor of moodle oh my god oh my god i hate it i hate it so much i hate it i, I cannot I, I hate it i mean it's not that bad or if you say it's not that bad i swear to god i'm gonna walk <laughs> from galway to drumcondor just to slap you i that's swear to god Katie, that's 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 Katie, let the hate flow through you <laughs> <laughs> nerdlinger nice Clee, that was awesome. Yeah, it's nothing to do with me. It's everything to do with Disney Plus, you know. <laughs> I've been ODing on Star Wars since my dad bought the package thing. I mean, I'm afraid the deflector shield will be quite operational <laughs> when your friends arrive. <laughs> I've I've got I've got actual chills right now. <laughs> I mean, I'm not surprised. Like. Before we descend any further into this nerd fest, hey. um. <laughs> Let's get stuck in and uh, take a look at uh, this week's book, uh, Jane Austen's Northanger Abbey. Oh, that's all right. Who, yeah, let's get started. Who wants to honour us with the uh, the summary this week? I think it's just you and me that haven't done a summary um, yet so far this series, Sarah. Do you know what? I think I think you're right, actually. Um, say, so do you want to take this one, Sarah? I don't care. Um, you can, you, do you know what? You can even take the note from the authoress afterwards. <gasps> oh my God, I love the note from the authoress. Ah! <laughs> okay, oh yes, no, no, no. Um, okay, so the blurb is, um, Northanger Abbey is both a perfectly aimed literary parody and a withering satire of the commercial aspects of marriage among the English gentry at the turn of the 19th century. But most of all, it is the story of the initiation into life of its naive but sweetly appealing heroine, Catherine Morland, a willing victim of the contemporary craze for Gothic literature who is determined to see herself as the heroine of a dark and thrilling romance. When Catherine is invited to Northanger Abbey, the grand, though forbidding, ancestral seat of her suitor, Henry Chilney, she finds herself in in a real drama of misapprehension, mistreatment and mortification until common sense and humour and a crucial clarification of Catherine's financial status puts all to right. Written in 1798, but not published until after Austen's death in 1817, Northanger Abbey is characteristically clear-headed and strong and infinitely subtle in its comedy. Oh, see, that's so good. And then the note from the authoress, which uh, it appears right at the beginning of the book in a type of clarification, kind of, from Jane Austen herself. Um, It's, yeah, advertisement by the authoress to Northanger Abbey. 
This little work was finished in the year 1803 and intended for immediate publication. It was farther disposed of to a bookseller, it was even advertised, and why the business proceeded no farther, the author has never been able to learn. That any bookseller should think it worthwhile to purchase what he did not think it worthwhile to publish seems extraordinary. But with this, neither the author nor the public have any other concern than as some observation is necessary on those parts of the work which 13 years have made comparatively obsolete. The public are entreated to bear in mind that 13 years have passed since it was finished and many more since it was begun, and that during that period, places, manners, books and opinions have undergone considerable changes. Oh, I just love her so much. Aww, <laughs> yeah. So sweet, man. She does seem like a pretty thrown person, like in fairness. No, but you know what? Like to explain a little, let's 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 circle back here a little bit, girls, and let's explain what that meant. So, like, what Miss Austin is saying right there in in her advertisement from the Otris, that like it'd be like having a book now about some like super skinny pale emo kid with like her black and purple fringe, like GH did right into her eyes so you can't even see the eyeliner she spent two hours on that morning doing specific okay like i'm not gonna lie but like i properly googled what was big in 2007 to make that joke so wait so let's just clarify right now so you you wrote that joke you researched first of all that joke and then wrote it at home like before the show shut up Katie no like I'm just wondering like did you did you practice it in front of a mirror shut up Katie no because like I mean if you're trying to get your tight three minutes ready for your open mic slot at the international like the competition on the comedy circuit it's pretty intense shut up Katie nobody likes you (laughs) Um, okay Jesus lads um, let's let's spend you know any time this week talking about the book Um, so like before um, the show we were talking about whether an outline of the characters and stuff would be worthwhile but like when we looked at it the first chapter it, it's not too long and it was pretty decent in terms of getting everything explained in a pretty pretty short space of time oh yeah and like that way you get to have like Jane Austen explain it instead of us you know and isn't that just isn't that just way better <laughs> speak for yourself Jesus <laughs> and uh, to inhabit the, the role of Ms. Austen today uh, uh, Clee what do you say oh whoa such an honour. It is not to be sniffed at, for sure. Here, am I being frozen out because I said no one likes Katie? Because, like, like I didn't mean it. Like, not really. Like, only a little bit. Like, like I like I 20% meant that no one likes Katie. How can you 20% mean something? Well, like, think about, like, what it's like when you, like, really mean something. Yeah? Okay. All right, and now divide it by five. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> you walked into that one. I hate you. I know. Um, oh Clear are you will you please help us get out of whatever this is? I don't know. It's a pretty big ask. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, no, no. Here we go. Uh, all right. No one who had ever seen Catherine Marland in her infancy would have supposed her to be born a heroine. Her situation in life, the character of her father and mother, her own person and disposition were all equally against her. Her father was a clergyman without being neglected or poor and a very respectable man, though his name was Richard, and he had never been handsome. He had a considerable independence besides two good livings, and he was not in the least addicted to locking up his daughters. Her mother was a woman of useful, plain sense, with a good temper, and, what is more remarkable, with a good constitution. She had three sons before Catherine was born, and instead of dying and bringing the latter into the world, as anybody might expect, she still lived on, lived to have six children more, to see them growing up around her and to enjoy excellent health herself. 
A family of 10 children will always be called a fine family, where there are heads and arms and legs and not for the number. But the Marlins had little other right to the word, for they were in general very plain, and Catherine, for many years of her life, as plain as any. She had a thin, awkward figure, a sallow skin without colour, dark, lank hair and strong features. So much for her person, and not less unpropitious for heroism seemed her mind. She was fond of all boys' plays and greatly preferred cricket, not merely to dolls, but to the more heroic enjoyments of infancy, nursing a dormouse, feeding a canary bird or watering a rosebush. Indeed, she had no taste for a garden and if she gathered flowers at all, it was chiefly for the pleasure of mischief. At least, so it was conjectured from her always preferring those which she was forbidden to take. Such were her propensities. Her abilities were quite as extraordinary. She never could learn or understand anything before she was taught, and sometimes not even then, for she was often inattentive and occasionally stupid. Her mother was three months in teaching her only to repeat the beggar's petition, and after all, her next sister, Sally, could say it better than she did. Not that Catherine was always stupid, by no means. She learned the fable of the hare and many friends as quickly as any girl in England. Her mother wished her to learn music, and Catherine was sure she should like it, for she was very fond of tinkling the keys of the own forlorn spinet. So, at eight years old, she began. She learned a year and could not bear it, and Mrs. Morland, who did not insist on her daughter's being accomplished in spite of incapacity or distaste, allowed her to leave off. The day which dismissed the music master was one of the happiest of Catherine's life. Her taste for drawing was not superior, though whenever she could obtain the outside of a letter from her mother or seize upon any other odd piece of paper, she did what she could in that way by drawing houses and trees, hens and chickens, all very much like one another. Writing and accounts she was taught by her father, French by her mother. Her proficiency in either was not remarkable and she shirked her lessons in both whenever she could. What a strange, unaccountable character, for with all these symptoms of profligacy... I can't say that word. At 10 years old, she had neither a bad heart nor a bad temper, was seldom stubborn, scarcely ever quarrelsome and very kind to the little ones, with few interruptions of tyranny. She was moreover noisy and wild, hated confinement and cleanliness and loved nothing so well in the world as rolling down the green slope at the back of the house. My God, 10-year-old Catherine, how you speak to my soul. (laughs) Such was Catherine Marland at 10. At 15, appearances were mending. She began to curl her hair and long for balls. Her complexion improved. Her features were softened by plumpness and colour. Her eyes gained more animation and her figure more consequence. I think that means she grew boobs. Yeah, yeah, I think it means boobs too. Why would you open that up, Cleanus? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> it just happened. Um, uh, figure more consequence, yeah. Um, her love of dirt gave way to an inclination for finery and she grew clean as she grew smart. She had now the pleasure of sometimes hearing her father and mother remark on her personal improvement. Catherine grows quite a good-looking girl. She is almost pretty today, were the words which caught her ears now and then. And how welcome were the sounds. To look almost pretty is an acquisition of higher delight to a girl who has been looking plain the first 15 years of her life than a beauty from her cradle can ever receive. Mrs. Morland was a good woman and wished to see her children everything that they ought to be, but her time was so much occupied in lying in and teaching the little ones that her elder daughters were inevitably left to shift for themselves. And it was not wonderful that Catherine, who had by nature nothing heroic about her, should prefer cricket, baseball, riding on horseback and running about the country at the age of 14 to books, or at least books of information, for provided that nothing like useful knowledge could be gained from them, provided that they were all story and no reflection, she never had any objection to books at all. But from 15 to 17, she was in training for a heroine. She read all such works as heroines must read to supply their memories with those quotations which are so serviceable and so soothing in the vicissitudes of their eventful lives. From Pope, she learned to censure those who bear about the mockery of woe. 
from Grey that many a flower is born to blush unseen and waste its fragrance on the desert air. From Thompson that it is a delightful task to teach the young idea how to shoot. And from Shakespeare, she gained a great store of information, among the rest, that trifles light as air are to the jealous confirmation strong as proofs of holy writ. That the poor beetle which we tread upon in corporal sufferance feels a pang as great as when a giant dies. And that a young woman in love always looks like patience on a monument, smiling at grief. So true. Um, so far, her improvement was sufficient and in many other points she had come on exceedingly well. For though she could not write sonnets, she brought herself to read them, and though there seemed no chance of her throwing a whole party into raptures by a prelude on the pianoforte of her own composition, she could listen to other people's performances with very little fatigue. Her greatest deficiency was in the pencil. She had no notion of drawing, not even enough to attempt a sketch of her lover's profile that she might be detected in the design. There she fell miserably short of the true heroic height. At present, she did not know her own poverty, for she had no lover to portray. She had reached the age of 17, without having seen one amiable youth who could call forth her sensibility, without having inspired one real passion, and without having excited even admiration, but what was very moderate and very transient. This was strange indeed, but strange things may be generally accounted for, generally accounted, oh Jesus, generally accounted for, if their cause be fairly searched out. There was not one lord in the neighbourhood, no, not even a baronet. Did you ever hear the like of it? There was not one family among their acquaintance who had reared and supported a boy accidentally found at the door. Not one young man whose origin was unknown. Her father had no ward and the squire of the parish, no children. But when a young lady is to be a heroine, the perverseness of 40 surrounding families cannot prevent her. Something must and will happen to throw a hero in her way. Mr. Allen, who owned chief of the property about Fullerton, the village in Wiltshire where the Morlands lived, was ordered to bat for the benefit of a gouty constitution. And his lady, a good-humoured woman, fond of Miss Morland, and probably aware that if adventures will not befall a young lady in her own village, she must seek them abroad, invited her to go with them. Mr. and Mrs. Morland were all compliance, and Catherine, all happiness. Like, I genuinely do not remember this book being this funny. Like, I, I obviously read this and Mansfield Park, like, together and was like, yeah, okay, these aren't Pride and Prejudice and just phoned the whole thing in. I, I genu- I'm so disappointed that I didn't, like, know that this was this funny going in. I'm so sorry, you guys. Like, seriously, Saoirse, like, I was gonna say, like, 12-year-old Saoirse really needed to, like, get her head back in the game. Like, what were you even, like, doing reading these when you were 12 and not getting exactly how funny or complex or whatever they are? Like, scarlet for your ma for having you. Close. <laughs> Jesus. What? Do you just not, like, say that? It doesn't mean it like how it sounds. Like I don't think so. Anyway. Oh, oh my goodness. <laughs> um, <Fine>. to, <laughs> to change the uh, the topic slightly. For the love of God, please do. <laughs> but like, yeah, like how how does one know if one has a gouty constitution? Asking for a friend. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't gout like a, a swelling of the joints? You know, I think it usually starts in in the big toe. How how do you know that? How why would anybody know that? I had a great uncle that used to suffer with it. He was really sad. He had to wear like sandals all the time, like all year round and like with all his outfits all the time. It was it was awful. Or was it amazing? Sandals with a suit? I mean, life doesn't get better than that. Yeah, like he'd have to wear like sandals to like funerals and all. Why would you bring funerals into this? We were having fun. It was it was the most formal thing I could think of. Weddings, dude. Presidential balls. The BAFTAs. Oh, yeah. Sarah's great uncle would go to the BAFTAs and all. 
<laughs> yeah. Back back to our dear Catherine and, you know, her upcoming removal to Bath. <gasps> yes. Like, oh, oh seriously. Like, I just, I just didn't remember this being as funny as it is. Like, I hadn't clocked, like, when I read it before when I was a kid. Like, the tone of the book is, like, so, like joyous or something like like the narrator is about to like actually burst out laughing at any minute but like there isn't a narrator though right it's the impartial observer thing there's no character that's like telling us the the thing i didn't miss like a big thing in the book right (laughs) no like absolutely but like the way this one's written it's like it's very much like someone's telling you a story about someone as opposed to like the words just being I don't know the vehicle to paint the scene in your mind if that's not too blah but like that is like super important for certain books like especially where the action is like super thick and fast but like very little actually happens in this book like Catherine goes to Bath meets some people goes to visit some of those people at their home there's a misunderstanding she goes home that's it like but the fact that the story is like told with this sort of wry smile that like lets us in on the fact that the whole situation it's it's actually something very much worth laughing at you know both in the book and the world outside you know that's that's kind of what makes it so satisfying to read so we just end the show here then. <laughs> right? For real. <laughs> no, like seriously, seriously, like you're like so smart. Yeah, that is some pretty great uh, stuff in terms of insights right there. Yeah, it pretty much is the thing that made the book so fun to read. Like, and it was super fun to read. Like I laughed out loud a few times, which is not something I thought would happen with, with these books. Is that you being 19th centuryist right now, Katie? And I mean, but also, need I remind you about that phone call like that we had crying laughing at how Fanny's name was Fanny the week before like, last? Yeah, I mean, I didn't expect like to find any of the actual jokes that were intended to be jokes like that funny, which is not 19th centuryist because that's not a thing. <laughs> I was just being realistic. Like, I didn't expect the jokes from that long ago to translate so well. Like, her father was a clergyman without being neglected or poor and a very respectable man, though his name was Richard. That is comedy gold right there. <laughs> yeah, like, there was not one family among their acquaintance who had reared and supported a boy accidentally found at their door. Not one young man whose origin was unknown. Her father had no word and the squire of the parish, no children. That's proper. <laughs> Like, you know, like the words that like critics or like literary people or whatever use to like describe Jane Austen's writing all the time. They're like playful and energetic. That's kind of the terms that they use. And like, that's kind of the thing with those bits, those jokes. Like, I mean, they're making fun of like old tropes and books from around the time. But like, she's not being like mean about it, you know, like saying that she's even super awesome for noticing it. And like, she's better than you and stuff. You know, she's just just pointing out that it's funny, you know, which it absolutely is you'd have to think that like Catherine being like so wide-eyed and naive at the character like makes it clear that the book like isn't intended to be mean or like yeah I'm smarter than you like like you were saying sort of like I hate that kind of satire it's it's yeah it's just to make people feel smart because they're like in on an in joke but this doesn't read like that I don't think yeah like if Catherine was even the one saying the stuff that like the narrator is saying it's like possible she'd come across as like really cynical and kind of bitchy but like the way it's written it really does come across that like Catherine's just this sweet like super green young girl like and that yeah that does kind of make it so that that cynical thing like doesn't really happen just want to point out that you were 17 as well Katie I am 18 at the end of the month okay and (laughs) It's beside the point. Like, it's 17 now and 17 then, very, very different. And like, yeah, 
<laughs> yeah, Catherine, like, yeah, she's just, she's got to work out all this stuff on her own as, like, a sort of rite of passage, you know, and, like, the narrator kind of knows that and kind of, like, can only shake their proverbial head and laugh at how sweet and silly the whole thing is, you know? So, uh, yeah, it's, it's pretty cool. And it does, yeah, it does avoid it getting into that gross, cynical, I'm smarter than everybody else kind of place. Now, I'm aware of the time, I'm aware of the fact that we're about to get kind of stuck into the whole character thing and the different relationships in the book. Um, and also that we have return ads again this week. So so maybe we should take a break right here and uh, get into Catherine's particular rites of passage, both real and imaginary. <laughs> After these messages... Week five of quarantine, and everyone's getting a little antsy. Which is why Denise and the gang at Dodoy are here to listen to your qualms, questions, and disturbances. Quarantine? What quarantine? So today, my fella, he managed to send me a video of some girl taking her top off via WhatsApp, and, and when I asked him about it, he said it was an accident. Uh, it was an accident. Uh, I told you it was meant for the lads' WhatsApp group. And, and how is that supposed to make me feel better, exactly? Oh my god, Steph, like, you country girls are all the actual same. It's just to cheer the lads up, they're all doing it. It's just to keep spirits up during these unprecedented times. I mean, what's wrong with you? Unprecedented times? Have you been practicing this speech in front of the mirror? I mean, it's not even like her tits were that nice. I mean, they were fine, but like... Like, they weren't, like, nicer than mine or anything. It, it doesn't make sense. Well, I mean, that is why I keep telling you you should start selling nudes. I mean, we could we could make some serious bank. We? You're going to need some representation, Steph. A pimp. A pimp is what is what you're talking about. It's not pimping if it's just nudes, Steph. Why are you talking like you know what any of this is? I need to rethink some major life choices. This is insane. Yeah, I do think you need to rethink some major decisions. All right. Your, your decision not to sell nudes. Seriously, that happened. Yeah. You gotta tune in. Dadoy. Thursdays. So. Yeah. We probably, like, yeah, just shouldn't engage. But, like... No, okay, I, don't, I just genuinely don't think we should touch that one. Yeah, yeah, I guess. I genuinely don't see how I'm going to get away with, like, not listening to that show, though, this week. Yeah, it's going to be a kind of a, a car accident thing where you just kind of, like, can't look away. Or, like, you know them videos uh, with, like, where people are, like, getting rid of blackheads? Why are they so, so satisfying? Yous are monkey bitches. Seriously, <laughs> Jesus. Uh, wow. <laughs> Chloe's the voice of reason and hell has officially frozen over. Nice. Here, I will have you know that I am extremely conscientious and reasonable and, yeah, like all sorts of <laughs> adulting type <laughs> things. Like they were gonna put me in charge of the rosters in pennies when Janine wasn't gonna be in. But like, then you know they had to close because otherwise we'd all die. Close, <laughs> <laughs> seriously, that's actually like really big deal. Yeah, right? Okay. So it's extremely insulting, Sarah, to be talking about me like I'm some dumb blonde when in actuality I am a very capable two towards blonde. Okay. <laughs> Extreme balayage uh, really doing its thing, is it? Oh, it's extreme. It's extreme. I mean, it's the hair equivalent of like actual bungee jumping while driving like a go-kart, like without a helmet. Whoa. <laughs> Bitch did not come to play, Kleena. Bitch did not come to play, all right? Also, the go-kart is on fire. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> but yeah, um, before the break, we had just uh, introduced our girl, Catherine, um, who was just about to be taken to Bath, the place, not the verb, um, by Mrs. Allen, a friend of her mother's. So now Catherine's experience of Bath, yeah, it's, it's a little different to Anne Elliot's experience of Bath in Persuasion that you might remember from a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, yeah, we were talking about this before the show and like Bath, it kind of seems a bit like like longitude um, like for people like us, it's like good crack. You know, you go to the gigs, you lose all your mates. You don't mind the whole rain slash sunburn slash thunderstorm situation that's, you know, like definitely going to happen. But like if you're like 27 or 42 or whatever the shit Anne was, like that might be a little bit like much or whatever. Yeah, like old people just want to sit down in like a comfortable chair, you know. You guys, 27 is not that old. It's 10 years older than Katie is right now, so... 18 next month, you guys. 18 next month. I don't know how many times I have to say it. It doesn't change the fact that like legally, you're a child right now. Like, did your parents say it was okay for you to talk to us adults like this, Katie? Like, should we get them to sign something so that we like have it on file, maybe? Why are you like this? Why? Katie, I can't have the show put in legal peril just because we didn't clock just how young you were, you know, given your unsettlingly deep voice and, like, dark eyebrows. Oh, God. What are you talking about? <laughs> your eyebrows. So, like, <laughs> I think, like, technically, given that you are a minor, we should be taking, like, appropriate actions to protect your incredibly young sensibilities. <laughs> Before you guys figure out how to, you know, have a remote fist fight. <gasps> Mario Kart sudden death. Oh, yes. Let's do that. You are such... A nerd. <laughs> Let's get back to the book. Your point, yeah, about it being like longitude, that's that's a good one, actually, Katie. We found uh, an excerpt where 1800s Bath is almost indistinguishable from uh, Thursday nights in uh, Coppers, the premier student uh, flesh market uh, nightclub, in quotes, uh, in the greater oh, don't, Dublin. Don't, 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 don't. I can taste the Jaeger. <laughs> dude, dude, like, what were you doing drinking Jaeger bombs? Like, seriously. <laughs> No, I just, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> maybe as penance or maybe, maybe just so that it's not like really triggering for you to have to listen to this search. Maybe, maybe you should give us this excerpt too. It, uh, it might be the, the best, uh, the best way to get around <laughs> what you're going through right now. Oh, yeah, maybe, maybe. Oh God. Oh. Okay. No, no, it's the 19th century. It's totally fine. Totally fine. <laughs> okay um, Right Mrs. Um, so yes they're in bath right now And uh, they're going to go out um, The girls um, Yeah yeah. So they're going to like a ball That's regularly held or whatever Like, like coppers Exactly <laughs> Tasted really good at the time <laughs> Then I could smell it all the next day. I woke up with like a half a happy meal in my bag <laughs> Like I lost half of the toy It was so sad <laughs> <laughs> Mrs. Allen was so long in dressing that they did not enter the ballroom until late. The season was full, the room crowded, and the two ladies squeezed in as well they could. As for Mr. Allen, he repaired directly to the card room and left them to enjoy a mob by themselves. With more care for the safety of her new gown than the comfort of her protégé, Mrs. Allen made her way through the throng of men by the door as swiftly as the necessary caution would allow. Catherine, however, kept close at her side and linked her arm too firmly within her friends to be torn asunder by any common effort of a struggling assembly. But to her utter amazement, she found that to proceed along the room was by no means the way to disengage themselves from the crowd. It seemed rather to increase as they went on, whereas she had imagined that once fairly within the door, they should easily find seats and be able to watch the dances with perfect convenience. 
But this was far from being the case, and though, by unwearied diligence, they gained even the top of the room, their situation was just the same. They saw nothing of the dancers but the high feathers of some of the ladies. Still, they moved on. Something better was yet in view, and by a continued exertion of strength and ingenuity, they found themselves at last in the passage behind the highest bench. Here, there was something less of a crowd than below. It's just like the top floor in coppers. (laughs) And hence, Miss Moreland had a comprehensive view of all the company beneath her, and of all the dangers of her late passage through them. It was a splendid sight, and she began, for the first time that evening, to feel herself at a ball. She longed to dance, but she had not an acquaintance in the room. Mrs. Allen did all that she could do in such a case by saying very placidly, every now and then, "'I wish you could dance, my dear. I wish you could get a partner.'" For some time, her young friend felt obliged to her for these wishes, but they were repeated so often and proved so totally ineffectual that Catherine grew tired at last and would thank her no more. They were not long able, however, to enjoy the repose of the eminence they had so laboriously gained. Everybody was shortly in motion for tea, and they must squeeze out like the rest. Catherine began to feel something of a disappointment. She was tired of being continually pressed against by people, again, coppers, my goodness, um, the generality of whose faces possessed nothing to interest and with all of whom she was so totally unacquainted that she could not relieve the irksomeness of imprisonment by the exchange of a syllable with any of her fellow captives. And when at last she arrived in the tea room, she felt yet more the awkwardness of having no party to join, no acquaintance to claim, no gentleman to assist them. They saw nothing of Mr. Allen and after looking about them in vain for a more eligible situation were obliged to sit down at the end of a table at which a large party were already placed without having anything to do there or anybody to speak to except each other. <laughs> like that that genuinely could have been our last night out. Remember we couldn't find any seat at all and like <laughs> to end up sort of squeezed in by the end of the bar. Yeah, like there's there's no reason to sit like in any of those nightclubs but like there was absolutely like the dance floor was gross. Like, oh my God, it's just, oh. Like, yeah, that that actually, I think that was our last night out. And like, you know, the way like you're like hyping yourself up, like getting ready is the best part. Like I'm with Mrs. Allen on that. Mm. And then you go out and like the only person you like me is like bleeding Isabella. Yes, Isabella, Isabella. Nice segue, Chloe. Uh, what? I got skills. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, anyway. Uh, so yeah, Mrs. Allen happens upon an old friend who's um, also at Bath uh, with her children, um, a bloke and a girl, who are a little bit older than Catherine, I think. Um, and as it turns out, um, are friends with her older brother, James. Um, so Catherine is kind of like paired up with them the same way like your folks used to do when you'd go on holidays and like they wanted you to get lost so they could go and get like absolutely twisted or whatever it is that parents do when they're away on holiday. And like they'd find the only other person like within like plus or minus five years of your age in the entire <laughs> resort and like set up a play date for you which is appropriate for you as, as a 16 year old girl in a foreign country no, seriously that was always so embarrassing like oh this is Natasha she's two years younger than you and you have nothing in common now go play table tennis like yeah always with the table tennis right like I mean it's fun and everything yeah but so was like I aming my actual friends at home yeah like I really didn't expect you know this to be like so very very relatable but um, yeah, Isabella, um, she's a bit, um, she's a... She feel gazy. She feel gazy oh, as actual fuck. Oh, oh my God. <laughs> also, is that a word? It's on Urban Dictionary. Okay. And she is. Like, she's uh, like all that. Oh, we're actual best friends. I love you so much. Are your brother such a ride? Wait a second. Who is your man? <laughs> pretty good yeah no, no, thank you Katie but like yeah no faker than actual fake like seriously could not handle whore yeah people people go on like that though you know, for real. some people are 
much as like positive, I think, or like, you know, they get caught up in stuff. No, 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 no. Seriously, isn't the same as you like going around being actual Snow White. I mean, people like saying shit to you just to put you in good humor. Sometimes I wonder if that's like a defense thing, you know, like, like you need to put people in good humor because like otherwise you think they wouldn't like you. Well, like in Isabella's case, like that's pretty much the case. It was a good strategy on her side. Fair points. But now, here, why are we talking about Isabella Thorpe? Like, not to mention her arsehole brother with only, like, what, 20 minutes left in the show? What's going on? Do, do, do you have something that you'd like to spend the next 20 minutes um, discussing, Chloe? Well, I mean, like, is 20 minutes going to be enough to, like, encapsulate just how much of a riot Henry Tilney is? I mean, are, is it enough? Do we need to extend the show this week? <laughs> okay, yeah. Let's talk about Henry Tilney. <gasps> He's so dreamy. Yeah, like, I'm not big on dashing, but, like, Henry Tilney pretty cool are we gonna talk about the muslin bit <laughs> chloe do you have like a checklist of things that you need us to talk about i with said this? are we going to do the muslin <laughs> bit there is nothing sexier than a man that understands muslin <laughs> yes Sersha. yes that's what i'm talking about <laughs> okay 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 all right so so uh, one of the early balls um similar to yeah the coppers situation that we just talked about catherine gets introduced by chance to uh, to one mr henry tilney who uh, by all accounts um uh, is a stone cold fox and and Danny talks a pretty good game. Like, seriously, I could like read a whole book of like just him talking. Seriously, the boy has like major skills. <laughs> He's just so dreamy. Search, <laughs> <laughs> are you gonna swoon? Like it sounds like that might happen. <laughs> Wait a second, have we have we lost Clee? No, no, I'm here. Oh, cool. Yeah, sorry, fam. I thought you got like cut off or something. No, no, no. Present and accounted for. Uh, so, you know, let's, let's talk Muslim. Yes, 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 yes. So, yeah, we've got a quick exchange. You know, I know we've got a lot of excerpts in this show as well, but just there are so many good ones. (laughs) So, yeah, this exchange happens between Catherine, Mr. Tilney and Mrs. Allen um, at uh, that ball. I think it was that ball. Um, It's only short anyway, but uh, seriously, it was one of like our actual favorites in the whole book. (laughs) Why is nobody reading it? (laughs) Well, Chloe... Uh, do you know what? Why don't you do us the honor? You know, see, seeing as how this is so very, very important to you. And it is. I can see that. <laughs> so please, my friend, uh, let's yeah, let's talk muslin. Okay, okay, I won't let you stand, girls. <laughs> All right. Dude. They were interrupted by Mrs. Allen. They're at the ball, you know, they're after dancing and all that shit. Um, so yeah, interrupted by Mrs. Allen. My dear Catherine, said she, do take this pin out of my sleeve. I am afraid it has torn a hole already. I shall be quite sorry if it has, for this is a favourite gown, though it cost but nine shillings a yard. I assume that's cheap. Um, <laughs> that is exactly what I should have guessed it, madam, said Mr. Tinley, looking at the muslin. Do you understand muslin, sir? particularly well. I always buy my own cravats and I'm allowed to be an excellent judge. And my sister has often trusted me in the choice of a gown. I bought one for her the other day and it was pronounced to be a prodigious bargain by every lady who saw it. I gave but five shillings a yard for it and a true Indian muslin. Mrs. Allen was quite struck by his genius. She wasn't just struck by his genius. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Um, Men commonly take so little notice of those things, said she. I can never get Mr. Allen to know one of my gowns from another. You must be a great comfort to your sister, sir. I hope I am, madam. And pray, sir, what do you think of Miss Marlin's gown? 
It is very pretty, madam, he said, gravely examining it. But I do not think it will wash well. I'm afraid it will fray. How can you, said Catherine laughingly, be so... She had almost said strange, but you know, I know she meant to say, ha. Um, I am quite of your opinion, sir, replied Mrs. Allen. And I, uh, and so I told Miss Morland when she bought it. But then you know, madam, muslin always turns to some account or other. Miss Morland will get enough out of it for a handkerchief or a cap or a cloak. Could you imagine cutting up your clothes for old stuff? What? Um, for new stuff, you know, cutting up your clothes. It makes you. Um, muslin can never be said to be wasted. I have heard my sister say so 40 times when she has been extravagant in buying more than she wanted or careless in cutting it to pieces. Bath is a charming place, sir. There are so many good shops here. We are sadly off in the country. Not but what we have very good shops in Salisbury, but it is so far to go. Eight miles is a long way. Mr. Allen says it is nine, measured nine, but I am sure it cannot be more than eight. And it is such a fag. I come back tired to death. Now, here one can just step out of doors and get a thing in five minutes. That must be what it's like living in town. Could you imagine living in town? Do you live like just... Mr. Tilney was polite enough to seem interested in what she said. Um, Like it was real interesting, so... (laughs) And she kept him on the subject of muslins till the dancing recommenced. Catherine feared as she listened to their discourse that he indulged himself a little too much with the foibles of others. What are you thinking of so earnestly, he said, as they walked back to the ballroom. Not of your partner, I hope, for by that shake of the head, your meditations are not satisfactory. Catherine coloured and said, I was not thinking of anything. That is artful and deep to be sure, but I had rather be told at once that you will not tell me. Well then, I will not, said Catherine. Oh, look, oh, they're playing games right now. <laughs> Thank you, said he. For now we shall soon be acquainted as I am authorised to tease you on this subject whenever we meet and nothing in the world advances intimacy so much. What? Mike, drop Henry Tenney! <laughs> <laughs> Jesus, dude. Uh, like, in fairness, though, like, he does talk a good game. Yeah, like that line on teasing, it's just... Yeah, and like it's pretty satisfying to see him and Catherine like get to know each other and enjoy each other's company like as much as they did. Yeah, like the conversational like acrobatics were proper. Like there was like this whole exchange comparing dancing to marriage and like, oh man, so yeah, satisfying to see yeah a character think that quickly and like come out with these lines like right on the page. But like he's not the one that thought of them, didn't like, like, I mean... Jen Austin wrote the book like yeah like yeah I know like but like it's like an 1800s romance version of like the what do they call a Big Mac in France speech in Pulp Fiction yeah like for me yeah it was yeah pretty much I don't know yeah maybe like it sort of struck me that I would have liked Marv Elnerton Tilney hard to say <laughs> Eleanor Tilney uh, you know Henry's sister um, she was just kind of like an afterthought almost like it's like she had to be there for Catherine to be invited to like Northanger Abbey to begin with um, but I thought she was like a really nice character I would have liked to have gotten to know her better you know that's actually yeah that is a good point like yeah Eleanor Tilney she doesn't get that much kind of screen time despite being like a really pivotal pivotal role in the the whole thing actually to explain a little so Catherine is making friends with Eleanor Tilney like despite 
Isabella like assuming that Catherine is sitting at home waiting for her to call um, so yeah Catherine is like introduced to Eleanor through Henry and because like she can't like be outright friends with Henry because that would be like super shocking she but you know Eleanor is super super nice and they get to be friends and stuff so that's like really really awesome and like um, through being friends with Eleanor um, Catherine like gets herself an invitation to visit um, Eleanor's home and Henry's home um, Northanger Abbey right and like Catherine's beside herself like you know not just because Henry's going to be there, but like because our Catherine, you know, she's she's a Twilight fan. And, you know, yeah, Twilight happens almost exclusively in Abbey's. I didn't think this analogy through. Like, I know what you're going for, but it doesn't work. Yeah. Yeah. It's sad. It's a sad, sad situation. I won't. I won't continue. I won't continue with the rest of those lyrics. Sound. Thanks. <laughs> but yeah. So Catherine, yeah, what I was trying to say was that Catherine's mad into these like gothic novels and um, that were like really popular um, in, in the late 1700s about people like, I don't know, being bricked up in secret passageways in old houses or like daughters locked in secret rooms to starve by their parents and stuff. Yeah, old school like Edgar Allan Poe stuff. Yeah, like, creepy shit. Like I like zombie movies and all, but all that torturing people and stuff, bleh, don't like it. <laughs> but yeah, I know there's the like a major part of those kinds of books is that like an unsuspecting heroine usually goes to an old preferably haunted house where she's led by her courageous or maybe even foolhardy nature to you know uncover all sorts of horrors and the thing is we have the delightful Mr. Tilly um, pretty much <laughs> beefing Catherine up on that when they're on their way down there so he's yeah he, he's, he's just messing but like it's 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 a pretty fun um, passage so yeah we thought we'd we'd go through that one because yeah it's uh, it's the best way to to get across this aspect of the book which is a pretty big one um, the whole kind of reference to, to that gothic literature um, Kay my dude you haven't done uh, much this um, episode reading wise you've been very very interesting and witty but um, <laughs> would you like to uh, give this absolute dream boat the necessary uh, clout of character did you just start like just putting random words together and hope that it made a sentence right there how well you know me <laughs> but yeah yeah no hassle um, yeah so yeah they're pretty they're on their way in like the carriage thing to uh, to Northanger Abbey and uh, Henry is talking to Catherine um you have formed a very favourable idea of the Abbey. To be sure, I have. Is it not a very fine old place, just like what one reads about? And are you prepared to encounter all the horrors that a building such as what one reads about may produce? Have you a stout heart, nerves fit for sliding panels and tapestry? Oh, yes. <laughs> Could you imagine being all like, yes, I really want to find like a secret door behind the bookcase. <laughs> Oh, Catherine. Um, Yes, I do not think I should be easily frightened because there would be so many people in the house. And besides, it has never been uninhabited and left deserted for years. And then the family come back to it unawares without giving any notice as generally happens. Um, No, certainly. Um, We shall not have to explore our way into a hall dimly lighted by the expiring embers of a wood fire, nor be obliged to spread our beds on the floor of a room without windows, doors or furniture. How would they get in? (laughs) Um, But you must be aware that when a young lady is, by whatever means, introduced into a dwelling of this kind, she is always lodged apart from the rest of the family. While they snugly repair to their own end of the house, she is formally conducted by Dorothy, the ancient housekeeper, 
up a different staircase and along many gloomy passages into an apartment never used since some cousin or kin died in it about 20 years before. Can you stand such a ceremony as this? Will not your mind misgive you when you find yourself in this gloomy chamber, too lofty and extensive for you with only the feeble rays of a single lamp to take in its size, its walls hung with tapestry exhibiting figures as large as life and the bed of dark green stuff or purple velvet presenting an even funereal appearance? Will not your heart sink within you? Oh, but this will not happen to me, I am sure. <laughs> How fearfully will you examine the furniture of your apartment? And what will you discern? Not tables, toilets, wardrobes or drawers, but on one side perhaps the remains of a broken lute. On the other a ponderous chest which no efforts can open. And over the fireplace the portrait of some handsome warrior whose features will so incomprehensibly strike mm-hmm. you that you will not be able to withdraw your eyes from it. <laughs> Dorothy, meanwhile, no less struck by your appearance, gazes on you in great agitation and drops a few unintelligible hints. To raise your spirits, moreover, she gives you reason to suppose that the part of the abbey you inhabit is undoubtedly haunted and informs you that you will not have a single domestic within call. You're on your own here, girl. <laughs> With this parting cordial, she curtsies off. You listen to the sound of her receding footsteps as long as the last echo can reach you. And when, with fainting spirits, you attempt to fasten your door, you discover with increased alarm that it has no luck. <laughs> oh, Mr. Tilney, how frightful. This is just like a book. <laughs> But it cannot really happen to me. I am sure your housekeeper is not really Dorothy. Well, what then? (laughs) She wants to know what happens. (laughs) Nothing further to alarm perhaps may occur the first night. After surmounting your unconquerable horror of the bed, you will retire to rest and get a few hours on quiet slumber. But on the second, or at farthest the third night of your arrival, you will probably have a violent storm. Peals of thunder so loud as to seem to shake the edifice to its foundation will roll around the neighbouring mountains and during the frightful gusts of wind which accompany it you will probably think you discern for your lamp is not extinguished one part of the hanging more violently agitated than the rest unable of course to repress your curiosity in so favourable a moment for indulging it you will instantly arise and throwing your dressing gown around you proceed to examine this mystery after a very short search you will discover a division in the tapestry so artfully constructed as to defy the minutest inspection how did she find it then? (laughs) (laughs) A door will immediately appear. Which door, being only secured by massy bars and a padlock, you will, after a few efforts, succeed in opening and, with your lamp in your hand, will pass through it into a small vaulted room. No, indeed, I should be much too frightened to do any such thing. What? Not when Dorothy has given you to understand that there is a secret subterraneous communication between your apartment and the chapel of St. Anthony, scarcely two miles off. That would actually be really cool. Um, Could you shrink from so simple an adventure? No, no. You will proceed into this small vaulted room and through this into several others without perceiving anything very remarkable in either. This is exactly like a video game. In one, perhaps, there may be a dagger. In another, a few drops of blood. And in a third, the remains of some instrument of torture. (laughs) There being nothing in all of this out of the common way, and your lamp being nearly exhausted, you'll return towards your own apartment. In repassing through the small vaulted room, however, your eyes will be attracted to a large, old-fashioned cabinet of ebony and gold, which, though narrowly examining the furniture before, you had passed unnoticed. Impelled by an irresistible presentiment, you will eagerly advance towards it, unlock its folding doors, and search in every drawer, 
but for some time without discovering anything of importance. Perhaps nothing but a considerable hoard of diamonds. <laughs> At last, <laughs> however, by touching a secret spring, always a secret spring, yeah, an inner compartment will open. A roll of paper appears. You seize it. It contains many sheets of manuscript. You hasten with the precious treasure into your own chamber, but scarcely have you been able to decipher, O thou whomsoever thou mayest be, into whose hands these memoirs of the wretched Matilda may fall, when your lamp suddenly expires in the socket and leaves you in total darkness. Oh, no, no, do not say so, Catherine. Well, go on. But Henry was too much amused by the subject he had raised to be able to carry it farther. My man, he could no longer command solemnity either of subject or voice and was obliged to entreat her to use her own fancy in the perusal of Matilda's woes. <laughs> Oh my god, oh, you're so so good at that, Katie. Oh, oh my god. Yeah, yeah, nice, nice. Okay. It's, like it's it's weird. It, like it reminds me of like you know when you're you're having a conversation with like a few people and like you know you just kind of know that the next few things you're gonna say are gonna be funny, but like you don't know what they're gonna be exactly. Like the words just sort of connect together just before they get to your mouth, with the timing and the feeling of the words that like you use, they make this string of jokes and you're just like on it like that kind of like yeah Henry Tilney like riffing like that it, it reminded me of that and that's like the best it's the best feeling ah uh, here we're not giving you no more compliments you're ruining it now you big eagle oh, maniac no. <laughs> no Chloe like no no I know what you're talking about Katie I, I think it's called creative flow like it's like everything just kind of comes together and there's nothing between your ideas and like what you're actually doing like people that do creative stuff like writing or composing music or whatever they all talk about yeah that creative flow it's and like talking is a creative act as well you know especially in that like really witty yeah Henry Tilney way <laughs> I totally get how like yeah reading that could put someone in mind of it you know I appreciate that yeah that validation search I appreciate that well you know you're very welcome it's a service I'll be providing throughout the current lockdown situation for anyone who wishes to avail of it yeah over here over here Tammy I'm good looking go on <laughs> dude seriously <laughs> like but yeah like Catherine Catherine goes to the Abbey you know plot book thing um, so yeah goes to the Abbey half convinced yeah she's gonna see all this creepy shit and like gets herself all in a tizzy over it starts like searching her room convinced that like yeah the chest at the end of the bed containing bed linen is gonna <laughs> gonna have like a severed head no like seriously though like like i don't think that there's never gonna be no like severed head or nothing but like you know when you go to a hotel or something and you start looking in all the drawers in case like like maybe there's a diamond tiara in one of them like like no it has to happen sooner or later katie it really really doesn't okay 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 so when i have a diamond encrusted tiara which i will not leave you in my will katie call in (laughs) oh how i shall laugh Oh, how I shall laugh and how you shall rue the day you spoke dust to me. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay, like, no more classic novels for Chloe. I don't know, I kind of like it. Yeah, yeah, me too. I think it adds a new dimension to the whole, you know, Chloe experience. Thanks, girls. Appreciate your support. <laughs> oh, <God>. <laughs> <laughs> oh, what? No, yeah, yeah, yeah. Back, back. Oh, my God, Katie, let's get back on track here. We're nearly finished. Oh, my God. Uh, but yeah, poor Catherine, yeah, she gets herself in an awful state. Yeah, yeah, she mixes up fantasy and reality quite a bit, but like in fairness to her, she does like talk herself out of it pretty quickly and like gets how dumb it was to think in the first place. I thought the bits where she was like beating herself up over that stuff was like really well written, like that feeling of like shame just kind of rushing up out of nowhere, like like you could 
you could feel that like you know it was it was really well done I felt I felt so bad for her oh god yeah there's a bit where like Henry calls her out on like yeah kind of thinking bad things because it's yeah she thinks that she's in the middle of a gothic novel where people are killing each other and like yeah she gets so upset that's right and like and by then she's like totally mad about him and like she's pretty sure she's getting signals from him too and then she feels like she's like ruined the whole thing oh my god it's horrible such a riot (laughs) like I do think it's yeah like in fairness like Catherine like all Austin heroines like gets a happy ending but like not before she gets to have possibly my favorite epiphany any character in any movie book tv show webtoon has ever had um (laughs) again it's it's been excerpt city here this this uh, particular episode but this one yeah we we can't we can't not do this one um so like charming as were all mrs radcliffe's works and charming even as were the works of all her imitators it was not in them perhaps that human nature at least in the midland counties of england was to be looked for of the alps and pyrenees with their pine forests and their vices they might give a faithful delineation and italy switzerland and the south of france might be as fruitful and horrors as they were represented. Catherine dared not doubt beyond her own country and even of that, if hard-pressed, would have yielded the northern and western extremities. But in the central part of England, there was surely some security for the existence of even a wife not beloved in the laws of the land and the manners of the age. Murder was not tolerated. (laughs) Servants were not slaves and neither poison nor sleeping potions to be procured like rhubarb from every druggist. Among the Alps and Pyrenees, perhaps, there were no mixed characters. There, such as were not as spotless as an angel might have the dispositions of a fiend. But in England, it was not so. Among the English, she believed in their hearts and habits, there was a general, though unequal, mixture of good and bad. Upon this conviction, she would not be surprised if even in Henry and Eleanor Tilney, some slight imperfection might hereafter appear. And upon this conviction, she need not fear to acknowledge some actual specks in the character of their father, who, though cleared from the grossly injurious suspicions which she might ever blush to have entertained, she did believe, upon serious consideration to be not perfectly amiable (laughs) i wonder if there were any like genre spoofs before this random no like this is a horror spoof there's like there's a comment in there about people like only marrying for money but that's it's a little tin in this one and that's better done in mansfield park but like like so aside from that the rest of the book is kind of like all about yeah the fact that (laughs) those books make out like any old house is gonna be yeah full to the brim with with people who are torturing each other and 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 yeah that if you kind of like you know if you were at home now and you open the fridge door when you close it there is going to be an axe murderer behind it like that's not the case <laughs> so like and and you know what like the playful tone thing Sarsha you were talking about like it makes the spoof thing work really well like at no point like you were saying about Mansfield Park last week like with the satire thing there was no point in the book where like the book was saying I'm smarter than you I taught this up and the thing you actually like is crap ha 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 you know it's just more like here I noticed that these books are all like this could you imagine if somebody actually went to one of these places and thought that this would happen I thought that was funny and I wanted to share it you know like it really felt like laughing with a mate over this idea of you know (laughs) thinking that and then coming to the conclusion that no do you know what at least the central part of England is is yes that is safe 100% <laughs> yeah exactly like, you know, like it's the same as anything you know like say say um yeah if you were to go to LA that you know you're definitely going to be involved in a drive-by shooting or you know people thinking that if they come to Ireland you know they're going to meet several people carrying pigs under their arms you know it's just it's one of those things it's it's yeah 
It's pretty cool that, like, she was interested in, like, making fun of an idea. Like, the other books seem to be more about, like... Well, no, Mansfield Park was about an idea as well, but that was, like, done, like, through characters, kind of. And then, like, Emma and Sense and Sensibility were just about characters. Like, again, like, the different characters, like, represented different things that, again, she kind of wanted to look at, it seems. But here... It's very much about like, yeah, there's this genre of book. Isn't this hilarious? Let's all have a laugh at it together. It's pretty cool that like she was doing something that abstract in the 1800s. Yeah, exactly. That's that's what I mean. Like, it's just, it's, yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty class. Like, and I, again, I wonder had, like it probably had been done in some way, but I, it, was, it was really cool just to how it was very like gentle, but still, really really pointed and funny like yeah it's it was class yeah like I mean Emma and Persuasion are obviously better written books you know the ending in particular and this one just seems to kind of happen out of the blue and like I agree with you Clee it would have been nice to get to know Eleanor Tinley a a little better yeah she just sort of seemed like a really good person like just a little quiet like sort of sort of like like a not shy Fanny Price you know oh my god yeah like a not shy Fanny Price would actually be pretty class to read about Right? Yeah, I would I, I would really like that. But, you know, still, as it stands, oh my goodness, just so much fun to read. I swear, Seriously. like, Henry Tilney can buy me muslin, like, any day, if, uh, if you know what I mean. The thing is, like, I know that that's a euphemism, but, like, I don't know what, what well, for. It's, and I don't want to know. <clears throat> I don't want to know. But, yeah, just down, boy. <laughs> um... <laughs> You know what, we're, we're again, we're coming up to being over. I know we ran long on our, our episode last week. Um, so uh, we're going to have to wrap things up for this week's Chicklet for Life. Um, thanks, everyone, for listening. We sort of kind of went around a lot of stuff there. It's 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 a really good book. Have a read. Read all of them. They're 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 all really great books. Yeah. Thanks for listening. Listen, subscribe, tell your mates, review, follow us on Twitter and Instagram, all that good stuff. Wash your hands, stay two meters away from other folks when you're outside, stream BTS DNA on YouTube. We have to get one billion views. Chloe, don't be texting me stuff that's, oh, Jesus, dude. You want it so bad, you stream it. I'm only small and I'm doing my best. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so anyway. Yeah, we're going to drop it off here. We got another ad coming, uh, so we got to make room for that. But yeah, join us next week for more Chicklet for Life, where we're going to be discussing Pride and Prejudice, mm-hmm. the big mm-hmm. one. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Uh, here, we're not giving you no more compliments. You're ruining it now, you big eagle oh, maniac. No. <laughs> no. Chloe, like, no. No, I know what you're talking about, Katie. I, I think it's called creative flow. Like, it's like everything just kind of comes together and there's nothing between your ideas and like what you're actually doing. Like people that do creative stuff, like writing or composing music or whatever, they all talk about, yeah, that creative flow. It's And like talking is a creative act as well, you know, especially in that like really witty, yeah, Henry Tilney way. <laughs> I totally get how like, yeah, reading that could put someone in mind of it you know I appreciate that yeah that validation search I appreciate that well you know you're very welcome it's a service I'll be providing throughout the current lockdown situation for anyone who wishes to avail of it yeah over here over here tell me I'm good looking go on <laughs> dude seriously like <laughs> But yeah, like Catherine, Catherine goes to the Abbey, you know, plot book thing. Um, so yeah, goes to the Abbey, half convinced, yeah, she's going to see all this creepy shit and like gets herself all in a tizzy over it, starts like searching her room, convinced that like, yeah, the chest at the end of the bed containing bed linen is going <laughs> to gonna have like a severed head no like seriously though like like i don't think that there's never gonna be no like severed head or nothing but like you know when you go to a hotel or something and you start looking in all the drawers in case like like maybe there's a diamond tiara in one of them like like no it has to 
have not been sooner or later, Katie. It really, really doesn't. Okay, 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 okay. So when I have a diamond encrusted tiara, which I will not leave you in my wheel, Katie, call in. <laughs> oh, how I shall laugh. Oh, how I shall laugh and how you shall rue the day you spoke dust to me. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay, like no more classic novels for Chloe. I don't know. I kind of like it. Yeah, yeah, me too. I think it adds a new dimension to the whole, you know, Chloe experience. Thanks, girls. Appreciate your support. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, yeah, yeah, yeah. Back, back. Oh my God, Katie, let's get back on track here. We're nearly finished. Oh my God. Uh, but yeah, poor Catherine, yeah, she gets herself in an awful state. Yeah, yeah. She mixes up fantasy and reality quite a bit. But like in fairness to her, she does like talk herself out of it pretty quickly and like gets how dumb it was to think in the first place. I thought the bits where she was like beating herself up over that stuff was like really well written. Like that feeling of like shame just kind of rushing up out of nowhere. Like, like you could... You could feel that, like, you know, it was it was really well done. I felt I felt so bad for her. Oh, God, yeah. There's a bit where, like, Henry calls her out on, like, yeah, f- kind of thinking bad things because it's, yeah, she thinks that she's in the middle of a gothic novel where people are killing each other. And, like, yeah, she gets so obsessed. Oh, that's right. And, like, and by then she's, like, totally mad about him. And, like, she's pretty sure she's getting signals from him, too. And then she feels like she's, like, ruined the whole thing. Oh, my God, it's horrible. <sighs> such a riot <laughs> well, like I do think it's yeah like in fairness like Catherine like all Austin heroines like gets a happy ending but like not before she gets to have possibly my favourite epiphany any character in any movie book TV show webtoon has ever had um, <laughs> again it's it's been excerpt city here this this uh, particular episode but this one yeah we, we can't we can't not do this one um, so like charming as were all Mrs. Radcliffe's works and charming even as were the works of all her imitators it was not in them perhaps that human nature at least in the midland counties of England was to be looked for of the Alps and Pyrenees with their pine forests and their vices they might give a faithful delineation and Italy Switzerland and the south of France might be as fruitful and horrors as they were represented. Catherine dared not doubt beyond her own country and even of that, if hard-pressed, would have yielded the northern and western extremities. But in the central part of England, there was surely some security for the existence of even a wife not beloved in the laws of the land and the manners of the age. Murder was not tolerated. <laughs> Servants were not slaves and neither poison nor sleeping potions to be procured like rhubarb from every druggist. Among the Alps and Pyrenees, perhaps there were no mixed characters. There, such as were not as spotless as an angel might have the dispositions of a fiend. But in England, it was not so. Among the English, she believed in their hearts and habits, there was a general, though an equal, mixture of good and bad. Upon this conviction, she would not be surprised if even in Henry and Eleanor Tilney, some slight imperfection might hereafter appear. And upon this conviction, she need not fear to acknowledge some actual specks in the character of their father, who, though cleared from the grossly injurious suspicions which she might ever blush to have entertained, she did believe, upon serious consideration to be not perfectly amiable (laughs) i wonder if there were any like genre spoofs before this random no like this is a horror spoof there's like there's a comment in there about people like only marrying for money but that's it's a little tin in this one and that's better done in mansfield park but like like so aside from that the rest of the book is kind of like all about yeah the fact that (laughs) Those books make out like any old house is going to be, yeah, full to the brim with with people who are torturing each other. And, and, and yeah, that if you kind of like, you know, if you were at home now and you open the fridge door, when you close it, there is going to be an axe murderer behind it. Like, that's not the case. <laughs> so like, and, and you know what, like the playful tone thing, Sarah, you were talking about, like it makes the spoof thing work really well. Like, 
uh, no point like we were saying in Mansfield Park last week like with the satire thing there was no point in the book where like the book was saying I'm smarter than you I thought this up and the thing you actually like is crap ha 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 you know it's just more like here I noticed that these books are all like this could you imagine if somebody actually went to one of these places and thought that this would happen I thought that was funny and I wanted to share it you know like it really felt like laughing with a mate over this idea of you know <laughs> thinking that and then coming to the conclusion that no do you know what at least the central part of England is is yes that is safe hundred <laughs> percent yeah exactly like you know, like it's the same as anything you know like say say um yeah if you were to go to LA that you know you're definitely going to be involved in a drive by shooting or you know people thinking that if they come to Ireland you know they're going to meet several people carrying pigs under their arms you know it's just it's one of those things it's it's yeah. It's pretty cool like she was interested in like making fun of an idea like the other books seem to be more about like well no Mansfield Park was about an idea as well but that was like done like through characters kind of and then like Emma and Sense and Sensibility were just about characters like again like the different characters like represented different things that again she kind of wanted to look at it seems but here it's very much about like yeah there's this genre of book isn't this hilarious let's all have a laugh at it together it's pretty cool that like she was doing something that abstract in the 1800s yeah exactly that's that's what I mean like it's just it's, yeah it's pretty it's pretty class like and I, again I wonder had like it probably had been done in some way but I, it was it was really cool just to how it was very like gentle but still really really pointed and funny like yeah it's it was class yeah like I mean Emma and Persuasion are obviously better written books you know the ending in particular and this one just seems to kind of happen out of the blue and like I agree with you Clee it would have been nice to get to know Eleanor Tinley a a little better yeah she just sort of seemed like a really good person like just a little quiet like sort of sort of like like a not shy Fanny Price you know oh my god yeah like a not shy Fanny Price would actually be pretty class to read about Right? Yeah, I would I, I would really like that. But, you know, still, as it stands, oh my goodness, just so much fun to read. I swear, like, Henry Tilney can buy me muslin, like, any day, if, uh, if you know what I mean. The thing is, like, I know that that's a euphemism, but, like, I don't know what, what well, for. And I don't want to know. <clears throat> I don't want to know. But, yeah, just down, boy. Like, <laughs> um... You know what, we're, we're again, we're coming up to being over. I know we ran long on our, our episode last week. Um, so uh, we're going to have to wrap things up for this week's Chicklet for Life. Um, thanks, everyone, for listening. We sort of kind of went around a lot of stuff there. It's 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 a really good book. Have a read. Read all of them. They're 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 all really great books. Yeah. Thanks for listening. Listen, subscribe, tell your mates, review, follow us on Twitter and Instagram, all that good stuff. Wash your hands, stay two metres away from other folks when you're outside, stream BTS DNA on YouTube. We have to get one billion views. Chloe, don't be texting me stuff that's, oh Jesus, dude. You want it so bad, you stream it. I'm only small and I'm doing my best. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so anyway. Yeah, we're going to drop it off here. We got another ad coming, uh, so we got to make room for that. But yeah, join us next week for more Chicklet for Life, where we're going to be discussing Pride and Prejudice, mm-hmm. the big mm-hmm. one. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. <laughs>
uncertain times, we're all facing new challenges. Um, things we never thought we would have to deal with. Not least, the exploding demand for high-quality puns. Your next WhatsApp team quiz name. The Fortnite handle that'll show those Spanish teenagers who's boss. The viral hashtag that gets your candle-making business off the ground. Who's gonna come up with them? Fiona? Yeah, I didn't think so. Enter Pundercats! For a nominal fee, we will provide three to five high-quality puns for all your quarantine witticism needs. No pun shall be used twice. No pun shall be wasted. No pun shall be left behind. And the winner is COVID-19! Oh man, what a great team name! Oh, I'm actually glad that they beat us! A notification from Cardi B! Oh, hashtag quarantine titties! Oh my god, does that mean I have a sponsorship deal with Fashion Nova now? Oh my god, I don't know, probably! Tom Nook, hey Stockholm Syndrome, have you ever used a smartphone before? God damn, I hate that raccoon. Call today for your introductory offer. Three puns for the price of, you know, three. Pundercats, ho!